Today on FranX, we're going to talk about real-life franchise success stories with Scott Sutton from Threshold Brands. Coming up next. Scott, thanks for joining us. Um, I will tee this off by saying Scott is one of the most consistent people that's ever existed in franchising. He holds jobs for a very long time. So I'm very much looking forward to this discussion because he dives in, he finds success, and he continues to, to build it. So Scott, if, just as an opening statement, can you frame your story in franchising? What have you done? What have you accomplished? So that when we start diving into how do you even get to winning? Uh, we'll understand how you've, how you've built up this approach. Yeah. And first things first, thanks for having me. It's always exciting to be together with you guys and share a little bit of, of fun information and, and stories. But look, I've, I've been in a big boy job for 27 years. 22 of those have been in franchising, started off in the petroleum space where we really grew through acquisition and that primed the pump for some of the strategies I've deployed in other brands which is looking at conversion and acquisition related strategies. But foundationally, it's about new unit development with passionate, uh, excited franchisees coming in and, and living their entrepreneurial dreams. So I've really had a fun career and being able to do different things and deploy different strategies within organizations that are open to that. And, and let's face it, there are companies out there that believe they've cracked the code. And so they stick to a certain way of doing things and, and maybe it works for them. But again, I, I feel like the opportunities I've had have been a key. They've been, a, they've been a key result from folks that have really said, Hey, let's go, let's try some things differently. Let's, let's do some things creatively and go grow in a meaningful way. And that's, that's been uh, really where I've been able to thrive. Okay. So there's something to unpack there, obviously, before we get into like, how do you go about uh, evaluating threshold when you're when you're making the leap into into this opportunity, but I hear mergers, acquisitions, uh, purchases, and the reality is in franchising. I think that's one of the highest values of franchising is the asset that someone's building up to eventually sell, whether that gets sold back to corporate um, or you're swallowing up another business and converting them into a franchise opportunity. Like, what's your overall take on the value of mergers, acquisitions, conversions, and do franchisors look at that or value that as much as they should in their sales process? I would say in general, I don't think that they do because let's face it, when you think about growth via what I'll call inorganic, which is predominant, predominantly mergers and acquisitions, it, is, it takes a different skill set. It takes a different way of thinking. And a lot of times it requires capital and risk. And so, you know, you have to get past those components and understanding, can I get the right kind of support? Can I get the right kind of talent with experience to be able to deploy an acquisition related strategy? But, but the reality of that is if you just look at it from a 30,000 foot view in the acquisition strategies that I've been able to lead, you know, you increase your market share you're able to allow for an existing or new franchisee to grow their business. And in terms of impact of the franchisor system, you're talking about bringing in a business very similar to a conversion. You're bringing in revenues that hit that income statement day one, right? So you're bypassing a little bit of that typical new unit ramp period and being able to really dig in with that operator and help them grow beneath the brand in a more meaningful way. 
so the impact is immediate, right? And and so I think when you look at the ability to grow quickly, especially in fragmented markets, many of which I've I've been in and, and in home services today, there are many of our segments that are in fragmented markets. So when you have a lot of regional and local players that are unbranded, many of whom may be looking for a succession plan or looking to exit, those kinds of markets are primed uh, to make a big impact. And, and again, it comes down to your tolerance for risk, your ability to deploy capital to make those things happen, and the ability of your team to help onboard someone that used to be operating a business as an independent, and now they're going to be operating beneath the requirements of a franchise organization. Charles, you, you and I have talked a lot about new development, but I think there, there is something to be said about the value of the resale and the resale within a, within a department or within a franchisor means that you protected the value of the asset so that you can hand it off to someone else. And I also think the, the investment into existing franchisees is essential uh, because if you can reinvest into those that have already decided that the brand makes sense for them, then ultimately they're going to expand within it. So Charles, when you're talking to, to the brands that you, you work with, do they, do they talk about resales ever? Do they talk about uh, cultivating the talent within and investing in the franchisees for further growth? Well, um, the, the more advanced brands do, right? So resales for, for many brands, it, like you said, represent an opportunity to protect the brand, protect the location and the operating history. So I, the more sophisticated franchisors focus on that um, and are very focused on um, coaching the unit level performance of the franchisees. So very much implementing attraction type strategy, whereas um, I see so many emerging franchisors focus on sales and then then they neglect the performance of the existing franchisees. And then by year five, instead of having conversations about private equity, uh, they're having conversations about legal strategy and lawsuits. Scott, obviously you, in your career, you've gone from micro-emerging, take, taking a brand concept and incubating it to legacy brand that may have had a little bit of grease on it, that you have to shake that off and create the business strategy. How are you approaching threshold now? What is your approach? How did you go about figuring out what is your what is your growth models to try to define what success is going to look like next year? Yeah, I mean, foundationally, it, it starts with the franchisees and it starts with the team. And I will tell you that uh, that every brand, albeit, has a, a great upside in terms of penetrating white space. There's a lot of growth opportunities, but some of the brands are are nascent. They're they're small, and in fact. Our paramedics brands that were just launched, plumbing paramedics and heating and air paramedics, we don't yet have a franchisee. So those are clearly emerging brands. So the, the foundation is the most important. And I will tell you, you know, we just got our FBR reports back and they're phenomenal. And, and so I look at the brands and the franchisees that are really hungry and excited and at that stage in their journey as a franchisee to really focus on growth development and a hunger, um, not only to just add multi-units, but we deployed something in the back half of 2021 to expand our other brands to our existing franchisees using this concept of not just being a multi-unit franchisee, but being a multi-brand franchisee. We had substantial success with that in the back of the year, a lot of excitement, a lot of folks looking at their core business saying, I really want to synergize. I want to diversify. I want to be more relevant 
to that homeowner, meet more needs as I'm on the property or inside the sacred spaces of our customers uh, and took that, that multi-brand opportunity to heart. And that's a way that they're growing. So I saw that coming in, Nick, as, as I looked at the brand and talked to franchisees through my process. One of the things that was really clear is that there's passion for the brands. There's a great deal of support in each of these, uh, each of these franchise systems, and it's something to build on. So the, the businesses were not broken. The brands were not broken. It really provided an opportunity to pull together under one umbrella and start growing in a more meaningful way. And, and that's what we're doing. We've seen it in the last five months and are already off to 2022 in uh, a really good start as well. When you were doing your homework and deciding that this, this was the right next career step for you, do you feel like you were able to uncover gaps that you're able to close now being as a part of the team? And if you, if you could think back to some of those gaps, what were they as other franchisors should be evaluating their own gaps? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the first thing that you always want to do is recognize and understand what is the focus of your sales team? Um, are you using data, right? Are you studying and understanding the data? And then as it relates to strategy, you think about who should we be targeting to be franchisee prospects? And do we understand who's successful today? You know, we, we use this term lookalike, right? A lot of people have lookalike campaigns. And let's go find the franchisee that looks like a lot of our top performing franchisees. I think that's an important component. And so one of the things that I saw was there's, there's an opportunity to lean into that. But the other piece is, you know, we've, we've got franchisees. As we think about new franchisees coming in, are we targeting the right kind of prospective owner? We know who our owners are today. Is that the right fit? And I think by and large in our brands, we have really good, well, uh, well-schooled, very skilled franchisees. So one of the things I saw early on, Nick, was how can we lean into data, really get clear on looking at our funnel, evaluating the progression of leads through the funnel? How does that match up to what's reported as what I'll call sector averages? Um, and then what can we do to make sure that we understand our personas that we market and message the right way and through the right channels to those personas and then evaluate how they progress through the funnel. Um, you know, a lot of those disciplines are, are hard. Um, they, they take discipline and being able to manage to those. But in my mind, that's, that's how you create a sustainable engine of growth um, and something that I saw as a big opportunity coming in day one. Charles, ba based on obviously we just talked about uh, budgeting, and now you're 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 sitting and listening to Scott's story and getting uh, ingrained into threshold. What are the key takeaways for whether you're emerging franchise or established that you're hearing uh, from Scott that we need to bullet point as key measures or metrics of success? Well, <clears throat> I mean, it comes time and again. It's data, right? And 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 my concern, you know, Scott's referencing data. He's benchmarking data. Um, he's creating those audiences or those perfect franchisee candidates. My biggest concern for the emerging and startups is they don't even know what data to evaluate. They, they, they haven't built, Scott's referring to his funnels. Uh, they haven't built their own funnels um, and they have no way of measuring. So, so the big takeaway is it, it really does become data analytics. It becomes funnel driven and then that becomes driven by core assets of your brand. Um, and 
I'd love to say you could just go hire someone to do it all, but it's got to come from within at a certain point also. Are yeah, you- it, it, it does. And, and you think about, um, you know, the systems that are out there, the third party systems that can be set up to help that. But for an emerging franchisor, that can be a costly equation, right? To be able to, to invest and mm-hmm. in, in thinking about investing in, in that type of a, of a CRM. Um, we tried to break it down in six buckets, right? We have a, a marketing qualified lead that comes in and we have a deal that gets closed at the bottom of the funnel, right? Those are the two book, bookends. And so one of the things that I noticed when, when I came in was that there were a lot of steps that were measured and that's important if you have the system and the capability to do that. But even in our case where we have a system, we have the capability to mine and evaluate the data. We also took a step back and said, we, we get, we're measuring too much. And guys, that's an important distinction because sometimes when you try to measure, you can overmeasure. You can look at things that aren't moving the needle. And so for us, we compressed what we were going to evaluate when you think about the funnel. And before we tweaked our system to be able to do it in a way that's consistent and automated, it was Excel spreadsheets. It was literally going in and making sure that we had a raw count of by brand, how many leads were coming in from where they were coming and how they were progressing along those six stage of our, stages of our funnel and evaluating, okay, you know, we know that we've got 34% of our marketing qualified leads are converting to opportunities. Where does that sit based on some of the reporting, the sector or industry re- reporting around that stage of conversion rate in the funnel? I started to do some benchmarking there. So it, it can be done. I, I think it, it does get unwieldy as you grow. Uh, and for us across eight brands, um, it can be difficult to manage. And that's why a system is ultimately needed. But for someone that's emerging, it is really, really important to have an understanding about where the funnel is breaking down and why. Um, sometimes it's a top of funnel issue. Sometimes it might be that the the prospects sort of are not qualified the right way or they're not progressed or not learning what they need to learn to progress to a latter stage in the process. So a lot to consider for an emerging franchisor. So if you take emerging as 50 units and below, even though, you know, it's probably debatable what, where the number is, how many of your eight brands have 50 units or fewer? Yeah, I'd, I'd say we are at a place now where we've got half of our brands are in that bucket. So, you know, our paramedics brands don't have a franchisee yet. And then men and kilts, Flyfo and Sir Grout, um, are are smaller as well. So, you know, we've got about half of the brands would be deemed, I think, very easily as, as emerging in the broader landscape of franchising. Well, that, that's the point that I'm making. Like, if, there's a lot of emerging brands that think, you know, we just get started and let's go. And they, I, I think two, two key critical things. One, you, you said you were, you, you saw that they were over measuring too much data. So you simplify what are we measuring? And the, the other indicator that I think is important for the funnel is, is this pure traffic to your website and the markets that you're trying to expand into just to be able to see, like if I want deals done in Milwaukee, are there anybody in Wisconsin, anybody in Milwaukee even looking at my site? Well, then I don't, I'm not even going to get a lead. So we know that we have to elevate that. But all you did is you, you took that insight, we're, we're over measuring, Let's, let's simplify what buckets we're measuring against. And you're cross-applying that thought process down to, you just named off a handful of emerging brands. So it's not whether it can be done. Like a brand may hear, 
well, we need all the resources in the world to measure this stuff. But what you're saying is like, this is part of the fundamentals is setting up your tracking so that you actually have a shot at, at getting to success. So next question, Scott, is how much time will you give this process? Like, obviously you have, you have a brand that doesn't have a franchisee yet. How do you budget for that? And how are you, how are you going to measure it? And how much time are you willing to give the process to, to work itself out? Cause to, you know, an emerging franchisor that might be listening to this, they're probably in a similar spot. Yeah, it's, it is, I think, one of the biggest open questions that everyone wrestles with, right? And that is, you know, when, when you think about the marketing spend and, and the activities related to lead generation, you know, how, first of all, you have to understand the, the numbers. You have to be able to track the success of that. Um, and then how long that big question of, okay, we're going we're gonna to test stuff and we're going to pilot stuff. And, and those things that don't work, we're going to pivot away quickly, fail fast fail and learn and then redeploy in a different area. I, I think the magic of that, Nick, is always around, um, it, it can be a little bit brand centric. We know that some of our brands have a more seasonal aspect to their, to their level of interest. For example, we have some, some seasonal brands, um, but our runway is, is generally 60 days and really taking a hard look at if we deploy a campaign, we know it's gonna take 30 days uh, those first 30 days, important insights, but not necessarily insights that would cause us to make a hard and fast decision uh, to either double down or to fail and pivot away. Um, we're typically looking at about a two-month window and evaluating and either tweaking, getting rid of that that approach or doubling down and and further broadening it so we can get you know more more great results. And that's um, that's a typical cadence of of how we kind of go through our our marketing campaigns. Charles, feedback on that? Yeah, Scott. So again, speaking to the um, that franchisor out there that's looking for their first franchisee, you talked about the runway, right? Before they even get to their campaign, if if that brand brought you in and said, Scott, make us successful, what are the assets that you're looking for or you're going to tell them, look, we need these assets before we could even deploy a campaign and, and to be successful? Yeah, well, I, you know, from my view, it starts first with unit economics. So let's take a step back and let's really understand what are the unit economics of the business? What are we able to report and talk about? Because at the end of the day, I, I think if, if I'm being brought into an emerging brand, you know, I'm going to want, I'm going to look at it from a, a franchisee's perspective. Number one, is this something that, is this a brand that's an exciting brand that's going to get me energized to get out of bed every morning and go lead a team of people inside of my franchise location in that brand. Am I going to be supported? Do these folks have a successful, call it corporate unit or concept that's proven in the marketplace? Do I feel like they've got the, the chops, the skill, the experience to support me? And then what's the, what's the unit economic performance of that, of that unit? Those three, what I'll call kind of the, the table stakes there, those are extremely important when you think about creating assets and marketing the brand into the open marketplace. Um, you know, do you have a brand that's engaging? Do you have people that are successful running it that you believe are, are able to support the franchisee? And are the unit economics successful? I, I, I used to get a kick out of, I've forgotten what publication it was back in the day, but you guys remember there was a certain sandwich shop that on the back page, they would publish, look, here's the item 19, right? Boom. That's their marketing pitch. 
is that if you become a franchisee based on the, the data, you've got uh, a strong likelihood of financial success. So again, I think those three pillars are extremely important to evaluate and then build around those, the types of assets, messaging and campaigning that's going to go to market and attract hopefully the right kind of franchisee that values working with folks that have been successful, being a part of an engaging, new, emerging, exciting brand with unit economics that that help validate downstream. Uh, Double question. So you you have obviously found success in the in the broker community. Um, How do you how do you go about that? Do you incentivize the brokers and are you taking your super micro emerging brands and putting them into the broker network uh, on day one. So multi multi step question, lots in there. But yeah, we've and I'll tell you, we have just um, really this year started um, to to invest in that in the broker channels. What we'll, we'll call the the broker channel across a number of those different networks and organizations. We we hired an individual to come in and be our broker relationship representative to really be the the face of threshold brands at every broker level, uh, broker network level. Um, We've made investments to make sure that we are educating the brokers at the end of the day, you know, the brokers are interested in making sure that if someone comes to them with a dream of business ownership, that they're going to be able to refer that individual to an organization that validates and has strong unit economics. That's been, Nick, the, the key thing for the broker community. We have a couple of brands that don't have published item 19s. Um, and so that's been a barrier inside of the broker broker community is with those two brands. Um, but it's all about relationship building and gaining momentum. Um, we, When I came on board in July, the company had completed three broker deals um, nine of the of the last eleven transactions have been broker deals. So we've gained a lot of momentum because we've spent the time, we've spent the money educating them about who we are, and we're seeing traction when those folks provide to us leads that have been vetted against the type of lead that we're we're looking to have in in our systems. So um, investment relationship obviously key. Charles, feedback on that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's great for any brand listening to this uh, and Scott's points because the brokers do care about the item 19, right? So that's critical so they could share the unit level economics. I think threshold brands, one advantage you have, even for your newer brands, is that brokers recognize that there's a bigger organization with a commitment to support franchisees. Uh, so I think you guys have an advantage there. But for the those startup franchisors, right? It is about the unit economics. And then one disadvantage you're going to have is that the brokers also want to know you're going to support them. And, and so um, you need to focus on demonstrating that support. Uh, the best part, what I love out of the whole conversation, Scott, which is I think so many people overlook it. You, you said, you know, is it a brand that's going to excite someone to wake up in the morning? And I think so many people overlook that when they're approaching their franchise development. Um, but the broker strategy, if you're a startup, it's going to take time to gain traction there. And what Scott's saying is they're committing to it. They're investing in it. They're educating the brokers. And I think that's where the long-term wins are. Yeah. I, and I think being prescriptive, um, you know, I can remember being in uh, in the early childhood education space and 
you know, look, we, we made a decision that we were going to grow in prescribed markets. We base those markets on data. You know, where are we seeing uh, the, the population growth, the income growth, the prevalence of preschool and, and young children that need this kind of service? Um, and we went market by market. So sure, you know, our market design was we're going to go into these areas. And if somebody called us from Seattle, Washington, we, we said, we're not coming there yet. And, and that takes discipline, right? You focus your efforts into an area where you know your cost of service at the franchisee level, your cost of support is optimized. But more importantly, the access your franchisees have to support is optimized. So I think being disciplined as, as an emerging franchisor to say, you know, Dallas Fort Worth is where we're going to grow first, right? We're, we're going to, that's the market that presents the best ac- opportunity, for example, for growth. That's where we're going to start to build out locations and franchisees and, and a support mechanism that from there we can scale. Uh, I think one of the big mistakes, and it's, it's a reasonable mistake, but we start getting calls from people that are outside of a geography and they become a single unit operator up in, um, you know, a, a geography that, that's far away geographically from, from the franchise where you, you start to, to put yourself uh, in some risk, both from a cost of service perspective uh, and from the perspective of being able to provide quality support to those franchisees. Scott, last question to take us home with. Uh, you're looking at next year. Uh, what point do you feel like you have the right momentum? What are you looking for as an indicator, whether that's in Q1, Q2, Q3, or even Q4? Like, What is going to make you feel like we're on the right pathway next year? Yeah, two things that, that we really think about. We've spent the last 90 days – really focused in on our processes, our sales process, and standing up the right FMS, franchise management system. We are a Salesforce shop, so um, we've spent a lot of time making sure that we build the Salesforce FMS uh, tech the right way to support the process. When we think about marketing, there's, there's two things that are front and center. Number one is, is being really disciplined about marketing to the right type of prospect. The good news is we have franchisees, so we've been able to evaluate what they look like. So we want to be disciplined in our efforts to go uh, and find the right type of franchisee in the markets where we want to grow. The second piece is we've spent a lot of time defining and designating what are the key markets into which we want to grow as threshold brands. So Phoenix, Dallas, Austin, Houston, Atlanta, Charlotte, Orlando and Tampa are some of our key markets that we've identified based on income growth, population growth, um, and then the clustering of our personas. We know that those are going to be the markets that, that we're going to target. We're going to be disciplined about that. Um, and it's all at the end of the day, Nick, it, it's about lead flow. Uh, it, those are database strategies, but we've got to see them produce. And if they don't, then we'll have to start pivoting into other means of getting the right type of client. Uh, into our funnel. So um, key indicators for us are always going to be how they're progressing, how leads are coming in from which sources and how they're progressing. Um, And we don't forget about the existing franchisees, obviously our key indicators there. We know that we have to create a continued world-class support organization because we can talk all day about how exciting our brand is and whether or not item 19 is exciting. But if the franchisees don't validate if they don't believe in the in the the training they're getting, the op support they're getting, 
and then the unique economics that they're realizing, um, that's that's going to be a, a significant burden to overcome. And there it is. That is that is the point for everybody listening. If you don't build the right foundation and drive franchisee happiness, none of those other tactics will matter. So no doubt about it. Scott, Charles, thanks for the time. Appreciate uh, all the insights. Thanks, guys. Good to be here.